James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to James 3? We're going to be looking at the verses that Robin read a moment ago. Many of you probably know, although uh, maybe actually you don't, that my wife Shauna is a preschool teacher. And as really little kids learn to communicate, often they start off communicating with kind of grunts and gestures. And at a certain point in time, you cross a line and you move from grunts and gestures. And I remember even hearing uh, Shauna say with our own kids, you need to use your words. You need to use your words. And frankly, James is going to talk this morning about using our words. And he's going to dial in exactly how we are to use our words and a fair warning, James has the tendency to make you feel a little uncomfortable as he begins to address issues. If you haven't noticed that as we've read through the book of James, he has a way of zeroing in on things that can make us feel very uncomfortable, expose things that are like, wow, okay, that's there and I've got to deal with it. Much like when you're cleaning out your garage and you begin to move stuff around and a critter or a bug comes out and kind of startles you, but then you know, like, Okay, I got to do something about this now. James will do that all the time in the book. There, there are things that it exposes, and we have to deal with it, whether we necessarily want to or not. For many of us, James is going to point out some things with our, our speech and how we use our words. And in the end, here's the goal that the Lord has and that James has. The goal is that you would be complete in Christ. James uses words like whole and mature and perfect, undivided, not double-minded. Because James wants us to be not just like halfway in this, but as we live out our faith, for us to be whole and mature. 
And so part of that process is going to be talking about our words. And James is going to talk specifically about what we say, our speech. But if, if James is really interested in the whole person, it's going to be more than just kind of what comes out of our mouth. It actually also would be connected to how we communicate with our fingers on a keypad as well, right? He's going to be addressing that, or the whole person, about what, what's going on with how we communicate. And he starts with a warning, and I want you to see it in verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And there's a greater strictness which is also challenging because verse 2 says we all stumble, all of us stumble in many ways. So if we're stumbling in the way of speech and we're teaching, there is potential. So he says, be very, very careful here. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect or, again, complete, mature. He's a complete man, a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. And then verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. If we let James do, I think, the good work that the Lord wants wants to happen in our lives, Our eyes are going to be open to how we use our words in some very important ways. One thing that James is going to lead us to do is to grasp the oversized impact of our words. The way James talks about it is helping us grasp the oversized influence and impact of our words. For as small as our tongue is, for as little as our words seem to be, I mean, you throw a few letters together, you put a few words together, and you got a sentence for as as little as that, like, what is that? Is that that big of a deal? James is going to show us this oversized influence, like really small things can make a really big difference. He first mentions like a bit in the mouth of a horse in verse 3, and what he says is the whole body is guided by that. So just this little bit, and I think of kind of horse racing as well as like work done on a farm with a horse and like you can have this tiny jockey control this large horse that is powerful just with a little bit in the mouth. Like little small things can have an oversized influence and impact. A little bit that's just positioned in one place. Verse 4, he talks about not bits and horses, but rudders and ships, and gives a picture of this ship on a, on a sea, and even kind of expands it, maybe writing about the Mediterranean Sea or something, or the Sea of Galilee, and you've got this sea, sea that can be like high, high waves, and how is a ship going to navigate that? And he says it comes down to a little rudder that actually is at the will of the pilot to direct, and that little rudder can change the course of the ship. Something very, very small, but having an oversized impact. And finally, we get to verse 5. It says there's like the small member of the tongue, but it boasts of great things. With these analogies, James is showing us that like little small things can have an oversized influence. And he is going to talk about negative influence, but I, I just want you to think for a moment of the oversized influence for good 
the oversized impact for good that your words can have. All the time you hear of people as they're interviewed. Talk about how at a point in time a teacher said something to them in a, in a word of affirmation. Or how a, a mom believed in her child. Or how an aunt or a coach or someone came alongside this person. And, and you hear people recite this like this person made all the difference because I, they said this and that that meant I knew I could go in this direction in my life. And it's just this oversized influence. It's just some small words, right? They just said a couple words. A teacher just said something. Maybe they said to all kinds of students, but that few words made all the difference for a person. Sometimes there are words of correction that make all the difference. They're just small words. I've had that in my life where someone gave a word of correction and it was just a small word, not really in and of itself. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it it really did have the effect of changing some of the direction of my life, the direction of my heart, just small words of correction. Sometimes I was thinking about words in books and speeches, and sometimes these are words that were said 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, and you read them, and maybe it's just 10 words, maybe it's just a sentence, maybe it's just a paragraph. And something takes hold in your heart, and that may have been a stranger that wrote those words that you'll never meet. And yet those words seem to like get some things in line in your life, and just this oversized influence of a sentence or a phrase. Sometimes words name and describe things, and and they label things, and they do help us understand what's going on in our own lives. Like, we understand ourselves better. We understand the world better because of just the simple word. Like, oh, that makes a, a lot more sense. I, I can understand things so much better because of just this one word. Sometimes words give comfort and encouragement. Maybe you've had the experience where someone comes up to you and says, I remember what you said like five months ago, and I was going through such a hard time, and your, word, your words brought so much encouragement and so much healing and I'm so grateful for your words and maybe you go like I remember a conversation I don't remember what I said I don't I I get well I'm glad I'm glad I don't you don't even remember saying it but it had this oversized influence because somehow it came at the right time the right place the right vehicle and all that lined up an oversized impact do you see that I hope you see that and I hope you appreciate it because like this week, we're going to be deployed into the world and we are going to have an opportunity, an oversized opportunity for good with the words we use. And I would hate to think like we would squander that opportunity we have this week for all kinds of good things. Yet there's another kind of oversized influence and James talks about that, the second part of verse five. So the first part we read already, so also the tongue is a small member it boasts of great things. But then, then it just turns, and even the whole tone of the passage seems to turn, how great a forest is set ablaze. So we've got a wildfire here, wildfire here by such a small fire. It's like a little spark. And certainly with all of the devastation on the West Coast that we've been watching, and it's tragic to hear of all the damage and the chaos that means for people's lives that are affected by the wildfires out west, we realize the oversized damage, and now we have a sense exactly of what James is driving at, not just, 
not just grasping that there's an oversized impact, but actually we also have to realize the dangerous effect of our words. If James does the work in our hearts like I believe he can, we have to recognize and appreciate the dangerous effects of our words. Just as simple as words can be oversized in their influence for good, they also, we recognize danger is lurking and it is always lurking with our words. My guess is there's not a day we wake up that we appreciate how dangerous it could be the way we use our words. Words bring such a capacity for damage. And the struggle is always going to be present. Verse 6 says, the tongue is a fire. I just want you to like really absorb the language James uses. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The capacity for damage is unbelievable. And, and words are an internal struggle. Look at, the, look at the verse there, right? The tongue is set among our members. The tongue is set among our members. So you can't, ex- can't escape it. So I'd like to think like, well, that's a problem kind of out there. But actually, James says, no, it's set among you. Like, this is a part of you. This is words you say, words I say. This is words I type, words I write with my hand. It's not someone else doing that. And I go, well, I didn't have any control over that. No, 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 you You do. I do have control over that. And verse 6 also says words can be terribly destructive. Actually putting it this way, this can stain the whole body. So the corrupting, contaminating influence can can be such that like all aspects of life, it, it can set on fire the entire course of your life. I mean, this is this is extreme language that James is using. It, can, it is set on fire by hell. And the word hell there is, basically, in ancient time, there was a place called Gehenna. It was the, the garbage dump outside of town in which stuff would be burned, the trash would be burned. And so you can imagine the, the awful smell and imagery that would have. And that's the word here. That's where words can go. It can contaminate everything. It can reek of death and destruction and when we say something there is this great immediate and potential harm I'm calling on us to realize the danger and just so we have like make no mistake of how our tongues can be used in this way do you realize the dangerous effect of your complaining of your complaining, whether it's low-grade irritation or just bitter-hearted, it never goes this way, and you pile on the complaints. James says that will cause great damage. Maybe you've observed someone who complains. Over time, people want to distance themselves from that complainer. And I'm not talking like six feet of distance, right? I'm talking like, like six years of distance. Like they don't, want, they don't want to be around that person because they are so damaging with their complaints. I, I want us, as we think about our speech, to think about like what the Bible would call filthy talk, filthy communication, where we're crude or coarse jesting. What's going on in our heart where I think it's funny to share this or that? Do we realize how damaging that could be? 
What about profanity where you are so angry at life and maybe angry at God and maybe angry at your neighbor? What am I really saying about my life and how I see the world when I think these are the words I need to use? I need to find these words, put them in this spot because this and only this can communicate exactly what I think of God and how he's running this world. Or what about our anger? We can call it venting all we want, but who's hurt in that process? So yesterday, uh, I was coming to church to spend a little bit of time in study. I was listening to an interview of a very, very famous sportscaster. So he's pushing 70 right now. And he, he recalled in recalled verbatim something his dad had said to him in anger when he was 12 years old. And it just dawned on me, like, here's a man in 2020 remembering something that was said to him in the 60s, verbatim. His dad, who was an angry man, and let all that come out. Like, do we, do we realize the capacity for damage? Or we think of our lies and our twist of the truth where maybe we stay out of trouble, someone else gets into trouble because of our words. What damage does that cause? And we have this kind of reality distortion in our minds. What, what road is that going to lead us to down the, down the road? What about our boasting where our accomplishments get embellished and make us sound a little bit better? And it's hard to do that without actually making other people sound like they're less and you begin to become the hero of every story, having just the right words at just the right moment. The world's lucky to have you, lucky to have me, because, and when we begin to tell stories and we remember things as if like, yeah, we're the hero of that one too. And yeah, here's another one where we saved the day too. And here's another one where everybody was a chump, but we were the hero. And we tell those again and again. What does a decade look like where those are the, pretty much the only stories you tell? When you live with that kind of pride, what about discouragement and abuse of others where because you have some sort of complex you think you need to just take people down, what does it look like for five years of that to go on in an office? What does that look like for a semester to go, go with a roommate like that? Do we see the damage that is caused? What about gossip? I mean, we could go on and on and on. Our words can be dangerous. And if that wasn't, that wasn't enough, humanly speaking, James says, that the tongue, our speech, is untamable. Look what he says in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, every kind of reptile and sea creature, they can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We need to get serious, don't we? We don't need to sugarcoat anything the awareness that kind of settles in when you've got a week to study this passage like I had, is that people like you and me, like we can live our lives hurting people with our words. This can go on and on and on and on. People like you and me can excuse and justify and say, you know, it's just, it's like my mom was, like my dad was. I, get, I'm, I can't really change. Yeah, I can't change because this is just who I am. And we can, people like you and me, we can go, go on and on in another decade living, just destroying people with our words. People like you and me have the potential to go to the grave 
And at our funeral, they might say nice things, but everybody knows what's not being said, and that is all the devastation we caused because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. I, I think the expression playing with fire, and James uses the imagery, I think that's totally appropriate. Do we realize how much danger is going on here? Do we realize the dangerous effects of our words? It, it seems to be like piling on, but James is like even still not finished talking about our words. And I think it's just to kind of shake us out of this. If you think this is not that really big of a deal, Curtis, it's kind of like, you know, I forget the floss sometimes and I use my words in poor ways. And it's kind of just one of those things. I'm try, I'll try to do better. If you think it's that, James is like trying to shake us and go, I say, no, 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 this is a serious deal. Look at verse 9, when with our mouths, with our tongues, we bless the Lord our Father, but with it we also curse people who are made in the likeness of God. How, how is this working, right? From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does, does a spring really pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? No, it doesn't. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, they can't. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There's just all kinds of hypocrisy that can go on with our speech because our heart, eventually it comes out, even the, even the most introverted person, eventually something's going to come out and it's going to be a tell. It's going to reveal this is what's going on in my heart. This is what I think. And in an unguarded moment, something comes out and you go, oh, oh, they really do think that way. Oh, that matters to them. And that's all of us. I wonder if what James is telling us could be a stop in our tracks moment where we do go like what what am I doing maybe another deeper more painful question to even address is like what have I done with my words and is there any hope for me if I find myself regularly hurting people with my words and if there is hope like how can I find it and here's what I think the Bible does I don't think the Bible gives us a few life hacks to get 15% better at our communication skills. I don't think that's the way the Bible operates. The Bible lays all this like bad news of like, this is what we do with our speech. Please take note. But for all the bad news on this, the Bible gives us some amazing good news and then gives us some hard work to be done. The good news is this. I want you to hear this very, very clearly. The good news is there's hope for sinners like us because Jesus died for the very sins we commit with our words. So I don't know, as you picture, we sang about it like Jesus is on the cross when they take him down, his body is drenched in tears. So it's just a vivid expression for me to think through, yeah, the sins of my mouth are what put Jesus on that tree, but he did, the good news is he died for those. He died for the heart that expresses itself in all kinds of wrong ways. He died for that. He died for those sins. Ephesians 5 talks about filthiness and crude joking and foolish talk. And he says, those are unfruitful works of darkness. Galatians 5 talks about fits of anger and division and strife. And those are things that will keep you out of the kingdom of God. They will prevent you from getting to heaven. But the passage that Champ read from Psalm 103 says... God has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. So if I 
kind of rewind the week and go, okay, there's that scene where I said something and I really wasn't that careful and that where I said something because I was just kind of ticked off and that I said I did something that like really wasn't that kind to another person and that where I really made something sound better, I, I made me sound better than I really was and all of that. Yeah, those are the very sins that Jesus Christ came and died for. That's so good of news. Even 1 Corinthians 6 was another word of encouragement to me because he uses, kind of has this list of sins, and one of those sins is revilers. So it's people who are verbally abusive. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, and you were that, but you're not any longer. You were that. Such were some of you. But now you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified by, in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been changed. I'm not the same. I'm a new creation. We sang that even at the beginning of our service. So the, the good news is that all this guilt I feel for all the ways I misuse my words, I can take that to the Lord Jesus. And while I can never atone for my sin, while I can never save myself, while I cannot, while I cannot promise my way out of this, although, you know, I mean, we try, right? I promise I'll never, I'll never do that. I'll never blow up again. I'll never say that. I'll, I promise. I, this time I mean it. And how many of you, this time I mean it, do we have to do in our lives to know, yeah, that's, that's not going to work like that for all of that. Actually, none of that's going to save you. Only Jesus can save you. And the good news is he died for sins like this. There's hope for us. And there's even more good news, and that is you aren't destined to be, to be dominated by these sins. So this may be a real area of struggle and weakness in your life. A real strong area where you look at a past of failure, just failure after failure after failure. Maybe your heart's even like really, really grieved right now as you think about it. You aren't destined because what we know is the work of the Holy Spirit can transform you in these very areas. It's not as if God is really good at helping people, but not in that area. He can't really help much there. No, no. These are the very areas where the Holy Spirit can go to work. And that change may not be immediate. It may take some time. But I've watched the Lord change people over the course of their lives. In James 1.19, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, James says everybody needs to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. James 1.26 says if anyone thinks he is religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, and I thought like that's a, a really helpful word, the, the bridle, which the bridle is meant to be kind of a, a restraint. So if you don't bridle your tongue, the person's religion is worthless, but the bridle restrains or curbs, it holds back, and for an animal, it's going to control the direction they go, and it's going to control the pace, so I'd love today for us to do this. I'd love for us, like there's hard work involved in this, but I'd love for us to consider some of the bridles that we may need to have. I want you to think of some of the bridles you have. Frankly, I want you to think of some that you need. What bridles do you need to curb and to restrain? 
I, I probably, we probably, if we collectively put our heads together, we could think of like 75 of these maybe. But let's just do three, okay? One of those bridles would be the bridle of patience. So what's going to curb and restrain? One is going to be patience. We know this, right? We know that so much of our sin with our mouths and our words and our fingers and our keypads, so much of that comes because it's a knee-jerk response to something that's made us mad. And we think, I'm just going rep- I'm, I'm to get this off my chest. Where is, like maybe this would change in 24 hours. Maybe it would change in 12. Maybe it would change in 24 minutes. Like if you just, like, well, I feel differently about this. If I just, if I let myself kind of think through and and weigh on this, would I change things? Maybe we need the bridle of patience. Is there anything that kind of holds things back and makes you ask the question, is this wise? Is this even necessary? Are there potentially damaging consequences that if I I go forward with this path, it's it's going to hurt? Or when when is the last time you had this impulse to, to comment, kind of drop a a word in there, or send back a, a, a quick text? When's the last time you had that impulse and you didn't act on that immediately? You just kind of, you, you were patient and you didn't speak. When's the last time you got angry and first talked to the Lord about it? Or maybe only talked to the Lord about it? Just when, when's the last time? When we're patient, it's showing the fruit of a deep confidence that God rules the world. He's good. I can trust him without like chafing under things that frustrate me in life because there are going to be things that frustrate us. We're restraining with that patience going, I don't have to say this and I, sh- I certainly don't have to say it now. How many times would you rewrite something? I know I've, I've had to practice this. There's times where my initial response is about a hundred times more emotional than it needs to be probably 50 times more personal than it needs to be. It assumes motivations of the person and I can explicitly name them all, although I can't read their mind. I just assume like, this must be what you're trying, you know, it's all that gets dialed back immensely when I just cool off. The bridle of patience. I think there's also the bridle of love, love for God and love for our neighbor. When I like, okay, let myself be restrained by the fact that I'm called by Jesus to love my neighbor and to love God. In light of that, will these words show love to my neighbor? In light of these, like, have I at least even made an attempt at the golden rule to treat someone, you know, as I want to be treated? Have I at least made the attempt to empathize with them? Like, oh, my goodness, they have gone through so much. They have dealt with so much. So that may have an impact on their response. They were brought up this way, and this is the way they respond. So I can, I can empathize with them. I can appreciate that. So maybe they didn't mean it nearly as harsh as I took it. Like there's a bridle uh, of love that can restrain us from responding when we know, okay, I can love my neighbor well here. I don't have to get involved in gossip. I can like steer clear or I can like put a curb to that when I hear it because I love my neighbor. I'm not going to let us talk about him or her and just pretend like I'm okay with that. No, no, we're not going to talk about them. We're not going to tear them down in this conversation. I love them too much to let us do that. Who exactly is blessed because you use the bright, you restrain so many negative things that could come out, but you like give so many positive, encourage, encouraging things. The bridle of love, love for love for a neighbor, love for God. 
Are you able to say like, Lord, these words are all for you. Because I love you, I'm using these words. And I ask another question. Like, this isn't about like magical words you should or shouldn't say, but are, are there words that actually are off limits because you love God so much? You've just chosen, I'm not going to take his name in vain. I'm just not going to do that. I love him too much. I love my Savior Jesus Christ too much. That I, I, I can't imagine taking God's name and throwing it in some sort. Like, why would, I, why would I use it in such an empty way? Because the Lord is watching. Like, do these words really show that I love him? And one more bridle that I want you to think about today is a bridle of responsibility. And this is what I mean. Do you take responsibility for any destruction you have caused? So when you have blown it, what does it look like then? I mean, we're midway through October. Surely some point in October you, you've messed up in this area, surely. If not October, we got, we got several more days. You're not getting out of this month without using your words in some capacity that's going to harm and damage. What happens then? See, that, that's an important question, right? Is there clear confession? Is there like an attempt at like, I, I want to make this right. I want to turn from this. I want to reconcile. Or, or is there a double down? Well, I'll tell you why I said that. Because you said that. And every time you say that, I'm going to say, is that, is that the way this goes? It, does it go with like half-hearted apology? I'm sorry if you had a problem with the, is that the way this goes? It goes that way all the time in this world. So we, we kind of can numb ourselves to think, oh, that's, that's fine to, to approach our words that way when James says, is this what's going to come out of our mouths? So when is the last time you asked for forgiveness for an area where you blew it? When's the last time you confessed a, a sin of your words, your speech, your communication? I say this like restrains us because when you take responsibility and not blame shift and excuse and justify, but when you really take responsibility, you actually are owning the devastating consequences your words cause. And when you do that, I find that a pretty good motivator to keep me from easily going down that path again. When I, re- I, mean, when I really think that my words cause someone else to really, really struggle. When I think that some offhanded comment that I make when you watch your kids or you, a family member or someone you love deeply and you watch their whole, their whole countenance drop because of an offhanded comment you make and you realize that's the damage I caused. And I don't want people to live around me in my world just destroyed by this. So when you take responsibility and say, before the Lord, I never should have said that, I never should have gone there. I never should have responded in that way. I was not right. When you own that and put that and you take responsibility for that, it has a way of like bridling the next time you kind of get on your high horse about something. If you've been tracking with this in James, you know there's a real danger here of like we can hear all this and not do anything about it. There's a real danger of like saying we're Christians, but then like no works accompany that 
because our words reveal so much about who we are, we need more than a few tips of how we could do a little bit better this week. We actually need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. If our tongues are a world of unrighteousness, if it really is a fire that comes straight from hell, then I actually need a Savior to deliver me from that. I need Jesus. I need a Savior that forgives me of past, present, future. I need a Savior who goes to work on my life over time, goes to work on my speech and my attitudes. And I will say this, if you're overwhelmed by maybe guilt and pain you've caused, the only thing I know to tell you to do with that guilt is to take it to Jesus. And today can be a day where it really can be a day where the Lord's faithfulness shows up by giving you mercy that is new for this morning. And there's a fresh start. There's a fresh start. You may need a fresh start tomorrow and a week from now and a month from now. But today can be that day where you receive new mercies, knowing, okay, Lord, you died for sins like these, and I need you to change me, change me from the inside out. I need to take these bridles and I need to turn them into actionable steps and I want them to be habits in my life. Maybe there's some of those that you need to put into place. Well, your Savior, if you know Jesus, he's with you today. He's with you and you can turn to him. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song that's a prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to your sight. But right now, can we just go to our Savior, the one who can deal with this, um, this sin issue that we have? Let's pray. How humbling it is, Lord, to be in a place where I teach about communication and words and fall so short. How humbling it is to think through this week of poor performance in the very area that I I know better. So, Jesus, this is why we need you to thoroughly cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is why we need you, Jesus. This is why we need you, Holy Spirit, to change us in our hearts so that something different is overflowing. This is why we need your power, Lord Jesus, to take these strongholds of speech that maybe are stubborn, rooted sins and to break those up where new, new fruit is produced in a, in a powerful way. This is why we need you. Lord Jesus. So our our hope this morning is not in our promises to do better. Our hope's actually not in that we feel really guilty and bad about a couple things. Our hope is in your love for us. And so with that, we do make our prayers to you in Christ's name. Amen.